So slavery is a big deal. Slavery comes in many shapes and sizes. It, it can be mental anguish. It can be physical bondage. It can be governmental oppression. Slavery has been an epidemic in this world ever since the fall of man. I mean, I'm sure if we would take a poll of everyone sitting here today, every one of us would have at some time experienced a form of slavery, a form of bondage. Maybe even right now you are stuck in the midst of a struggle that you just can't get out of. And mankind has been fighting slavery since the fall. Many wars, relationship struggles, fighting depression and regret. In fact, our own country fought a civil war, right, over whether or not we would be a country that permits slavery. And we fought many wars against oppressive um, regimes that wanted to take away freedom. And our country was actually founded in rebellion, right, in the Revolutionary War. We began our country fighting for our freedom. And it was in that war, in the Revolutionary War, a man by the name of John Stark rose to become a general and led his men to many victories. After the war, after emerging victorious, he was asked to give a speech and recount what the Revolutionary War was all about. And in his simple speech, he said these words, Live free or die. Live free or die. Later on, his home state of New Hampshire took those words and adopted it as their state motto. Live free or die. If you see a New Hampshire license plate, you'll see those words on the license plate. Live free or die. And freedom and independence is a big deal in the world because slavery is such a hardship, is such a struggle. And freedom and liberty and independence are especially highly thought of here in the United States. But you know, freedom is a big deal in the Bible too. It talks about it a lot. Paul wrote about it all the time. The problem is that the world's definition of freedom and the Bible's definition of freedom, they don't mix. They They don't jive very well. They don't add up. So over the next several opportunities that I have to preach, I'm going to go through a series that I've called Live Free. And we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to go through Galatians chapter 5 and study what freedom is really all about. Now today, originally, I was going to go through the first six verses of chapter 5 of Galatians. But as I prayed and as I studied, the Lord said, pull a Pastor Tim. And so I'm just doing one verse today. And so today, as you turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Galatians 5, verse 1, let me pray. Lord God, I just thank you so much for the freedom that you have freely offered to us. 
Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just fill me now and that you would speak through me, that my words would be your words, that I would not hinder you in any way from moving here tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts to hear your truth, that we would stay focused, and that we would see what it truly means to live free. In Jesus' name. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, before we jump into the text, I'm going to take some time to set the stage and to look at some of the background and context. Because in order to understand where Paul is coming from here, there's some important pieces of information that we really need to know. First of all, it's important to know that Paul is not writing this letter to one church. He's writing this letter to the region of Galatia, a region he visited on his first missionary journey. And and this region was steeped in Greek paganism and the occult. It was steeped in Greek paganism and the occult, kind of kind of like Easton, kind of like what a lot of we deal with in this country at large. All of the different occult things going on. And when he went on his journey, the Lord led him to found churches all over the region of Galatia. So so he's not writing with a specific church in mind here. He's writing to all of the churches that he founded in that region. And the reason why he's writing to all of them is because they all encountered the same systemic and cultural problems. What were those problems? What were those issues? Well, Paul Paul is passionately rebutting the arguments of the false teachers who were going through Galatia and denouncing the things that Paul had taught. This is this is the very first letter that Paul wrote, chronologically speaking, and at the time of his writing, Paul, this, this wasn't very long after he finished up that missionary journey. So, so most scholars believe it was only a couple months afterwards. So, so this is very fresh in Paul's mind when he's writing. And so he's writing with tremendous force. There's a lot of strength if you read through chapter 5 that he's really hitting them hard with his words here. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 13 of what he went through. Why? He was writing with such force against these false teachers. Who were these guys? Who were these false teachers? These were guys, they were known as the Judaizers. They were the Judaizers. They were, they were Jewish men who taught that salvation required more than just faith in Jesus Christ. They didn't deny that Jesus Christ was in the Messiah. They said that you have to live a good life. And you have to live by these rules if you want to be saved. So they added on to faith alone as the means to salvation. So, so I want to try to put ourselves in Paul's shoes here. Okay? If you're a parent, if you're like me, you, you want to try to teach your kids the right thing, right? And so you train them and you teach them and you love them. And so when someone else comes along and tells them something differently than you've been trying to teach them, it's, it's pretty frustrating, right? It's pretty upsetting. Or, or maybe you say one thing 
and your spouse says the exact opposite thing, right? It's pretty, pretty upsetting. Or maybe, maybe it's at work, and you're at work, and you have just put, in a, put a ton of effort into this presentation, either to maybe your boss or to a client, and then all of a sudden a coworker comes along, or, or maybe your competitor comes along and completely blows up the presentation that you just made. It's pretty upsetting, right? And so now, imagine that that competitor not only just blew up the presentation, but then afterwards he tried to kill you. That's exactly what the Judaizers tried to do. They tried to kill Paul several times. And so Paul is writing with extreme gusto here and reaffirming to his readers that they should trust his teaching as from the Lord and disregard what the Judaizers were saying. In fact, in terms of context, if you break Galatians down into equal sections, you'll see that the first two chapters he spends reaffirming his apostolic authority to teach truth. The middle two chapters... He reteaches them what Jesus Christ did on the cross for their, for their sins. And then the last two chapters, starting in chapter 5, he gets to the application. Okay, so, so this is how you live this out. This is what it's all about. So as we pick up in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul has just finished explaining that there are two eternal covenants that are at work in the world. One that leads to slavery, and one that leads to freedom. And depending on what you put your trust in, we're either children of bondage or children of freedom. And so it's at this point that Paul comes in and begins his application section by emphatically stating, For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore. And do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So the first thing that Paul does is answer the question, well, how do we become free? How do we become free? Paul gives it to us right here. He says that true freedom can only come through Jesus Christ. Right? That's what he says. He says, Christ has set us free. Christ can set you free. In fact, if you look at John chapter 8, Jesus himself said, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. But notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, If you set yourself free, you'll be free indeed. He said, If I set you free. We, we have no ability to free ourselves. Of course, the world will tell you that there are lots of ways to freedom. There's lots of ways to live free. Just be a good person and you'll be free. Just, just follow this set of rules, pray these prayers, and you'll have your freedom. The problem with that is that it's a lie. It's a bold-faced, unadulterated lie. Because you will not be free trying to live that way. 
This is exactly what the Judaizers were teaching and what Paul was fighting against. That whole concept. We have no ability to free ourselves. Despite our best efforts to take things into our own hands, we will fail. One night, a man by the name of Waylon Pendergrast, a man who is way over his head in debt, decided to go to a bar and drown his sorrows in alcohol. He was in so much debt, he didn't know what to do, and one drink led to another, and he found himself very drunk. And so, on his way home from the bar, he thought to himself, there's no way I'm ever getting out of this debt. i got to do something about it. And he decided, right then and there, that he was going to rob the first home that he came across. And so, seeing a home, he made sure that no one was there, went around back, found a slightly cracked open window, forced it open, made his way in, found a duffel bag and filled it up with all the valuables he could find. Now, in his inebriated state, he thought to himself, well, I should probably cover up my tracks. And so he went around the house and he found some gasoline in the garage and he doused the house in gasoline, found a match, lit it on fire and ran out the back door thinking that he'd just completed the perfect crime. And so, as he turned down the street that led to his home, he noticed something funny. There were three fire engines parked right outside his house. And as he got closer, he realized that he just robbed himself and burned his own house down. It's a true story. Waylon tried to save himself from his debt. And it ended pretty bad, didn't it? (laughs) For him. Friends, when we try to free ourselves and take things into our own hands, we will always end up crashing and burning. Quite literally, burning. Because only Christ can set you free. Maybe you're listening today and wondering what Christ has done to set you free. Well, the answer to that is that Jesus did what none of us can do. He lived a perfect life. He was undefiled, sin-free. He never, ever, ever messed up. He never thought the wrong thoughts, never said the wrong things, never did the wrong actions. He was perfect. And I don't know about you you guys, but I can't say that for myself. (laughs) But, But he not only lived a perfect life, he chose to pay the penalty for our imperfection by dying in our place. And it's through that death paying the penalty for our sin that Jesus Christ has set us free. Now, now hear this. It's one thing to understand that. It's one thing to hear that and intellectually agree to it. Lots of people do. 
Lots of people say, you know what, yeah, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. But it's just in their minds. It's just in their heads. The key is that we accept Christ's act of setting us free by putting faith in that to save us, not trying to take our salvation into our own hands. Ephesians says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This isn't your own doing, it's a gift from God, not the result of works, so that no one can boast. And this is what the Galatians were struggling with here. They had heard the truth, but the creep of the world's lies was gaining ground. The false teachers were telling them to depend on their own works to save them. And the slow influence of the world, it's it's so subtle, isn't it? So we have to remain alert to how we can be falling into the trap. So, so we have to ask ourselves a question, how much am I depending on myself? We should all be asking us this. I had to ask myself this question all week. Because maybe like Pendergrast, you're depending on yourself for your financial well-being. Or maybe you're depending on yourself to take care of the latest mess that you find yourself in. Or, or maybe you're trying to live a good life to earn your way to heaven. Whatever it is, when we try to take things into our own hands, when we cut God out of the picture, we're going to inevitably burn the house down. This is why Paul is so forceful in speaking against those who taught to the contrary. In fact, if you look at the very first word in this verse, it says, for. For freedom. It means, for the purpose of freedom. Paul wants us to know that freedom is why Jesus came. Not so that we would rely on ourselves. Not so we would try to take things into our own hands. Christ set us free for the purpose of our freedom. Unfortunately, oftentimes we don't know what that means because the world's concept of freedom has so clouded our thinking. So so what is freedom? What is it? We've learned how to become free, right, through Jesus and trusting in Him and relying on Him and putting our faith in Him. But what does it mean to live free? How many of you have seen the movie Braveheart? Many of us have seen the movie. It tells the story of William Wallace, a Scottish guy who was fighting against the tyranny of England. At the end of the movie, Wallace is betrayed. And he's taken back to London and he's tortured. And they say, look, we will give you mercy... If you just ask for it, all you got to do is submit. And we'll give you a swift death. But Wallace, not willing to submit to the English on any level, refused 
to even ask for mercy. And so at the end of the movie, in the climactic scene, he screams out for all to hear one of the most famous movie lines ever, freedom. Freedom! Something like that. That was pretty good, right? Yeah? No? 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 Okay, yeah, yeah, there we go. Wallace and John Stark, live free or die, both understood that freedom was about freedom from oppression. And this is the word here. Freedom means liberation from something. Liberation from something. For those who are set free by Christ, we receive freedom from the penalty of our sin. Christ has paid the penalty for us. He he died for us. Which means we no longer are required to die for our sins. I don't know about you, but that makes me very, very thankful. (laughs) But being set free by Christ means more than just being liberated from the penalty of our sin and the crushing requirements of the law. Now hear this. Freedom in Christ means that we no longer need to be a slave to anxiety. We don't need to be a slave to fear. We no longer need to be paralyzed by doubt or regret or feel rejected or unloved. We no longer have to feel condemned and guilty. We no longer have to give in to our addictions. We no longer have to give in to the lusts that formerly controlled us. All of that you have been freed from. I have been freed from. Amen. That's what it means to have freedom. In fact, the words for freedom had a special cultural meaning. Because at that time, any slave who was set free in Greek culture, remember that's where Galatia was, right? It was, it was steeped in Greek culture, would receive a certificate that said the words, for freedom on them. Now, the way that would work is the master would take the slave to the local temple. And money would be paid into the treasury at the local temple. And then the slave would receive his certificate that said, for freedom. And the concept was that they were no longer beholden to the master. They had received their freedom. But they were now the servant of that God. Because that God had freed them, they were to live in service to that God and to worship that God. So so Paul isn't just evoking the imagery of being set free from something for the sake of doing what we want. The Galatian readers would have understood that Christ has set us free for the purpose of living out thankful service and worship to the God who has set us free. Amen? And it's at this point, right here, right there, that is where the biblical definition of freedom 
and the world's definition of freedom diverge. You see, the world also includes in the definition of freedom the idea of license. License. That's the idea that I have the right to do what I want to do. I have the right to live how I want, to go where I want, to be who I want, to say what I want. I have the license to be free of what someone else is telling me to do. The world says that freedom is the ability to do something. God says that freedom is being free from something. And friends, the freedom to have the license to do what we want is not found anywhere in the Bible. That is completely foreign to Scripture. Receiving our freedom in Christ doesn't mean that there are no rules. Nowhere is the scene, nowhere is the scene more clearly than with Jesus himself. I mean, at the Garden of Gethsemane, he's about to go and die. And clearly he didn't really want to die. In fact, he asked God to take that cup from him. But he says, not my will, but yours be done. I'm not going to do what I want to do here. I'm going to do what you want me to do. And so, if Christ sought to always do the will of the Father, it's probably a pretty good idea that we do the same thing, right? Again, not out of obligation. Because if we obeyed out of obligation, that would put us right back under the law. Right back in slavery, in bondage to the rules. That's not the case. We're to obey out of thanksgiving and worship for the God who has set us free. Not because we have to, but because our hearts are so moved that we want to. That is true freedom. We've been set free in order to serve the one that has freed us. Now, now maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, that's not freedom. It's not freedom to do what someone else tells me that I should do. Well, I agree with you. If we're defining freedom the way the world defines it. And so if you're sitting here thinking that freedom is being able to do what I want, then, then I, need, look, I need to point out that you have bought into the lies of the world. Your understanding of what freedom is, is not what God says freedom is. I'm not, I'm not trying to condemn you, I'm trying to show you the truth. The world wants us to think that we can indulge our every desire and fantasy and live how we want, and that is a lie. And if that's part of our understanding, we need to get rid of the lie and replace it with the truth. Because the reality is, living however we want is actually slavery. The Bible says that it's slavery. In John 8, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. In the Greek, that basically says, 
everyone who has a lifestyle of sin, everyone who lives however they want to live, is a slave to sin. So, while you thought you were living in freedom, Satan pulled the fast one on you. Because you're not actually living free. You're living in bondage. You're living in chains. The world wants to be free to live how it wants. And Satan will try to get us to twist our freedom in Christ into thinking that we can live however we want. But that's sin. And we don't have the license to do that. First Peter says, Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Because when we abuse our freedom in Christ and take license to live in sin, there's always going to be consequences. About a year ago, my wife decided that she wanted to raise chickens. And so, the kids got seven chicks for Easter, and over the past year, we've raised them to adulthood. And Leslie is diligent in feeding them and watering them. And when it's nice outside, we we go out to the chicken coop that we built out back, and we open it up, and they're free to wander all over the yard and do their chicken things. They, They eat bugs, they do their chicken scratch stuff in the mulch, they fly up into trees, and they roost. I mean... I mean, if I was a chicken, I'd, I'd think I had it pretty good. But, but you see, our chickens are free from the dangers of the world so long as they understand that they can't do whatever they want to do. As long as they're with us, they're safe. And when we're not around, when they're in their pen, they're protected. But a funny thing happened this past week. You know that rainstorm that we had? The tarp over the pen didn't drain properly. And the water collected on top and forced the fence down just big enough for a hole the size of a chicken. And so I imagine that the chickens thought, hey, there's a hole. I can go do what I want to do tonight. And so the chickens flew the coop, and they lived the high life in the storm. Probably doing chicken dances or something, right? But um, bum I'm not going to do the chicken dance for you. Well, when I woke up the next morning, I looked outside, and I saw a pristine landscape, fresh grass, lots of beautiful flowers, but there was something else. There was chicken feathers. Lots and lots of chicken feathers. In fact, there were five distinct spots of chicken feathers all around our yard. And I'd say, hey, Les, did we lose any pillows through the night? She got her little chicken shoes on and ran outside, and, and she found that there were only two chickens left that stayed in the coop. Five of them became breakfast for someone, some nefarious meat eater. <laughs> when Leslie came back in the house, she was she was pretty angry, to say the least. I mean, she had just spent a year raising these things, and I said, oh, you know, it's okay. Hey, 
We lost the chickens. And she looked at me and she said, I am mad at you. I, why are you mad at me? Because I know that you're preaching on freedom this week and you've been praying for a sermon illustration and you killed my chickens. <laughs> the point here, the point here is that freedom from our sin, our liberation from the consequences of sin is not the same as the liberty to go and do what we want. Because when we go and do that, we're going to get eaten. Right? Because who's prowling around like a lion seeking someone to devour? Satan is. And we're not much smarter than chickens sometimes. We see that little hole and we're like, ooh, I'm going to go take that. Consequences aren't good there. We are not free to sin. We are free from sin. We are not free to do what we want without penalty. We're free from the penalty of our sin. We're not free to do our will. We're free to do the will of God. We're not free to be independent. We're free to be dependent on the one who has set us free. And the truth is, that's a hard pill for this country in particular to swallow. Because independence is a prized possession. But friends, our freedom doesn't mean that we're independent. We can't live lives independent of God because that will end in death. That will end in the house burning down. So, so how are we supposed to live free? What are we supposed to do with our liberation from the consequences of sin? Well, Paul gives us two commands. He gives us two commands here that we're going to go through real quick. He says, stand firm and do not submit. Stand firm and do not submit. In the Greek, if we break these commands down, he's, he's talking to every single person who calls himself a follower of Jesus Christ. This isn't for a select few. This isn't just for a few good men. This is for every child of God. And they're written in a way that means that we've got to do them over and over and over again. All the time, continuously, not just one time. We don't just stand firm once. I'm good, I won that one. Over and over again. And it's written in an absolute form, which means we stand firm to the end. Like Wallace, we cry out freedom in Christ to the end. We don't submit. We don't give up. In fact, it's only because Jesus Christ has set us free that we're even able to live free and stand firm and not submit. That's why the word therefore is in there. It points us right back to what Jesus did for us. Because I don't know about you, if I had to stand firm on my own, I'd be crushed. I'd fail every time because I'm weak. I'm a wuss. I pass out when it gets tough. (laughs) But through the power of what Jesus has already done for us, 
and what the Holy Spirit is continuing to do in us, we can stand firm and not submit. In fact, in Paul's letters, he often exhorts his readers to stand firm. He says, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in one spirit. Stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in truth. And here he says, stand firm in freedom. So what's it mean to stand firm? This, this is a military term. This is a military term, and it was used to describe a legion of troops who were facing battle. And it means active, intentional, persistent, and enduring resistance. Resist to the end. But the crucial, crucial point here is that freedom requires steadfast vigilance. We have to remain alert. Because if we were to live free and stand firm against the lies of the enemy and against our propensity to go back to relying on ourselves, we're going to fail, right? We need to stay vigilant. Okay, so, so what does it look like practically, right? This is supposed to be the practical section of the letter. What does that look like practically? Well, we have opportunities every day to stand firm. Whether it be from the peer pressure around us in our schools or at work or from our boss or our neighbor or our friends. Or maybe it's against the lies and the deceptions of the enemy. Those subtle whispers that you're not good enough. You can't do it on your own. This is your identity. It's who you are. Just embrace it. Just give up. Go back to how it was. It'll be okay. You'll like it better that way. Lies. Filth from the mouth of Satan. Stand firm against those lies. Or maybe it's just standing firm against trying to do everything under your own power. I'm just going to take it into my own hands because I don't trust anyone else to do it, and so I'm just going to do it myself. That's control freaks out there. Standing firm is about being proactive, about standing up to and overcoming the waves of the world, the waves of our lustful desires, the waves of temptation that crash around us. But Paul doesn't just give us an affirmative command here. He also gives us the negative side of it, right? He says, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. These, these are the flip side of the same coin because we can't stand firm and submit at the same time, right? If we're going to stand firm, that means that we're not going to submit. And if we're not going to submit, then that means we stand firm. So what does it mean to submit? It means to allow ourselves to be ensnared by something. To allow ourselves to fall back into our old way of life. Into our old patterns of thinking. And the old lies that used to control us. That's why Paul uses the word again. 
Because every one of us, every one of us, we were slaves at one time. But we've been set free. Amen? The struggle is that our lustful desires and deceitful hearts constantly tell us to run back to the way it used to be. Just indulge once more. That's why Jeremiah says, the heart, our emotions, our lusts, our feelings, are deceitful above all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Don't be deceived by how you feel, by what you think your body needs. You stand firm and not submit. And it's important to see that submission is something that we actively choose to do. We won't become enslaved again unless we allow it to happen to ourselves. We choose to submit. We choose to give in to our deceitful emotions. The deceptive urges and feelings that drive us back to where we came from. That's why Paul commands us not to submit. Because it's completely within our control whether we remain free or fall back into slavery. We can't be commanded to do something that's outside of our control, right? It just doesn't work. If I'm commanded to do something that I have no ability to control, then the command is fruitless. Paul doesn't do that here. But the enemy will tell you that you do you do just, you know, you don't really have a choice. Just, just go back and be who you were. That living as a slave is who you are. That you should just, just continue to live that way because, you know, that's how God acts. He, he made you that way. That's a lie. It's a lie. We do have a choice. We have a choice through the power of the Holy Spirit to live free. Remember Stark's quote, live free or die, and how it's on all those New Hampshire license plates? Well, the irony there is that the great majority of those license plates are made by inmates. They're made by people who have given up their freedom, disregarded their freedom, or, or went too far with what they thought they were allowed to do. And now, they're living in bondage. Don't allow yourself to become an inmate, wishfully staring out of your cell, longing for freedom. The freedom that you have that Christ has set you free from. Don't make the license plates that talk about freedom. Live out your freedom. Because Jesus Christ has done all that is necessary for us to have eternal, everlasting freedom. There's nothing more that we need to do but put our faith in Him. And so if you're here today and you haven't done that, if you haven't accepted the freedom that comes through faith in Jesus Christ, can I, can I implore you, can I beg you 
to put aside your pride. Put aside the lies. And for the first time in your life, live free. And if you're here and you've accepted the freedom that comes through Jesus Christ, but you're struggling with submitting again to the old way of life, the old chains that bound you, know that Christ has done all that you will ever need to live free. You have a choice whether you will live free or live in slavery. Choose to disregard the lies. Choose to renounce the power of Satan to speak his filth into your mind and ask the Lord to give you the power to overcome temptation and break free of those chains that have already been broken. Let us live free in Christ, no longer a slave to sin. Let us live free in the truth, standing firm against the lies and not submitting again to the bondage of deception. Let us live free and serve God for the amazing freedom that he's given us. Let's live free and laugh at death. Amen? Amen.